Just a quick message from me, Mary Porters, to let you know that my conversation with James Watt was recorded before staff made very serious allegations about the culture at his company, Brewdog. Truth will always out. Businesses, as I've talked about often, are transparent today. But more importantly, we hope that James and everyone at Brewdog are engaged in listening and learning. Change can happen. Well, here we are, still in the thick of that word COVID, in that life that has suddenly been thrust upon us. Almost a record number of infections and hospitals at bursting point. Oh, Oh, and just to help the whole thing, Donald Trump has lost the plot. It's pretty scary, isn't it? But there is a light. We are now being more deliberate and mindful, choosing what matters and what to invite into our lives. And because of this, if we're living differently and deliberately and more mindfully, of course we're going to be buying that way too. Everything we buy will be thinking, will connect back to this new energy we have. When I was 16, I started on this back in 2019 when I did a TED talk on what I called the kindness economy, an economy built on the stuff we care about because we have to, that we leave the world of business better than we found it. It's about a new way of doing business. That's been my whole career. It's about how we can link those two things, the word economy and kindness. One is commercialism and the other one is social progress because businesses can no longer keep behaving the way they have. Businesses can no longer be about growth or money at any cost because just look what it's done to us. Three quarters of people say they now value decency in business as much as price and convenience. And that gorgeous next generation, Generation Z that I talk about, is more engaged and way ahead of the game than any of us. So, for commercial reasons, all you businesses, we need to do this to embody better values. But here's the most important point. This is the right thing to do. And while it might feel, no, 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 I can't deal with any change right now. Yes, you can. Just look at what we have achieved in the last six months. Just look at how we've been able to adapt rapidly to change because we've had to. Everything that was taking years before, like homeworking, e-conferencing, distributed teams, happened overnight. We achieved far more than we ever expected and we're far more nimble than we think. So, I'm not relying on government. (laughs) Look at them. Where this change is going to come from is us, the people, because that's where real change historically always happens. Now, each of us has that part to play. Now, I know many of you are already on this journey with me. I've seen it on my social media and I love it, but we need to make this bigger because it's time now for a new way of living and buying. It's time for change. I'm Mary Portas. Welcome to The Kindness Economy. The Kindness Economy podcast is supported by BT and its Small Business Support Scheme. Now, who have I got coming down my Zoom pipe? Hi, Mary. It's Pete Oliver from BT, and I'm the Managing Director for SME. That sounds quite naughty, doesn't it? But it actually means... A small and medium enterprise. Now, Pete, 
tell me something that BT are doing to benefit the kindness economy. Well, at BT, we launched our small business support scheme last summer, and this is a comprehensive package of new measures to help small businesses thrive uh, during the pandemic in this difficult time. And, and come on, we know how important they are. Just give me some facts. Oh, well, they're, they're really crucial to our economy. They employ the majority of private sector workers. And if you think about it, our high streets, our towns, our cities and our rural communities all depend on them in order to thrive. So you launched your small business support scheme. Tell us about that. Yeah, the scheme consists of uh, 10 key initiatives. Those initiatives range from free digital skills training to contributions towards high-speed connections for small businesses. But it, but it all adds up to aiming and help small businesses boost their connectivity, their cash flow, and crucially, their confidence at this really difficult time. That's me clapping. Give yourself a clap. Small businesses can find out more about this support on offer from BT by visiting bt.com forward slash small business support. This week on the show, I've been in conversation with James Watt, who founded that great beer company, Brewdog. It's a fascinating story. And um, in order to really get to the bottom of it, I had to drink and test a lot of beer. But before we go into that interview, who's on the line from Team Porters? Which correspondent have I got who's going to tell us about the kindness economy in action that they've seen this week? It's Hayley Ard, the cultural anthropologist at Porters. (laughs) It is Hayley Yard, my cultural anthropologist at Portas. And she's wearing a wonderful headscarf. I have to tell you, see, I'm going to do a little bit of a descriptor because it is a podcast, but Hayley always has the best headgear and fantastic lippy. Hello, Hayley. Hello. How have you been? Very well, thank you. I'm enjoying the Midsummer Murders life here in lockdown from the countryside. <laughs> Midsummer murders. Yes, I'm, I'm watching what's going on outside the front window and seeing who's going past and reporting it all back to the family. That's the real news. So, have you been seeing any kindness economy in action? What have you been looking at this week, Haley, with her anthropological eyes, ears, and feelers? What have you been up to and seeing? I have, Mary. I've seen that Burger King has handed over their UK Instagram account to all the independent restaurants who need our support while we're all in lockdown at the moment. So they're giving us a break from their burger picks and they're handing over free advertising to the likes of Danny's Burgers in Bristol, Doe and Bun in Birmingham and loads more. So, but, but do you have to be a burger restaurant in order to go onto the Burger King no. Instagram? Or, you can be, so you you can can be pizza, vegan. You can be whatever. Do you know what I love about that? That's cost them nothing, hasn't it? it what makes me always so amazed is that we've had to have a COVID crisis to realise what assets we have and what we can do in business for free. So anything else? I love that. Well, I'm obviously on a food trend this week, but uh, I love the combo of beer and crisps in the pub. Who doesn't? And now I've seen... I actually miss that. But (laughs) what I love is that Walkers has taken that combo to a new territory and they're actually working to slash their carbon emissions by up to 70% by repurposing waste potato skins and combining them with carbon dioxide from beer production to create fertilizer for potato crops. So they've got together with this really whizzy uh, carbon capture startup called CCM Technologies, 
where they're taking over all the leftover potato cake from this whole process and combining it with discarded CO2 from a brewery. And in the end, that gives them a fantastic enriched fertilizer that can be used by potato growers on their crops uh, to add carbon back into the soil and boost yields. Cool, Hayley, you're doing well this week. Have you got any others or is that enough? I've got one more for you, Mary. Okay. It's okay. Nature's Harvest, um, a lovely greengrocer in Helensburg. And they are providing the vegetables for We Are With You, which is a charity that gives hot soup and a chance to chat to people who suffer from drug and alcohol abuse and poor mental health. So they've opened a soup kitchen from the chain station and they are giving their produce uh, to provide this source of warmth and nurture in the community and, and really act as a glue in that space. It just shows that business can just warm your heart as well as take your money. So what are you up to today back at Porter's Agency? I am working on our weekly newsletter, The Porter's Point yeah. of View, and digging into all of the cultural currents that businesses need to be mindful of and draw inspiration from as we move forward together. You're a little archaeologist as well as an anthropologist, aren't you, Hayley? Just mining away, finding those nuggets of information and we then shared them with the world on our newsletter which you can all access by going to portersagency.com look at me with my ads thanks Hayley take care say bye oh, Mary. bye <laughs> so this week my interview is with James Watt from that wonderful beer company Brewdog and James and his partner Martin started selling craft beer from the back of their van in 2007. It's an incredible business story, the growth that they've been through, but it's more than just about beer, which is why we love them, which is why this is so right for the kindness economy. It's about a community of people who share core beliefs. And right now it's at the forefront of the movement in business to tackle the climate crisis. It's the world's first carbon neutral brewery and it has big ecological plans for the future. And James, we shared so much beliefs. He talks about how more and more people are going to want to spend their money with companies that care about their people, their community and their planet. And he believes that the choices someone makes as a consumer has more impact than who they choose to vote for. But let's start by going back a bit. Let's go back to 2008 and we find this tenacious young man, James Watt, getting his first leg up, as it were, into the industry by a little hand from a very big supermarket. 2008, we were selling no beer at all and we entered a Tesco beer competition and I kind of forgot about it and went back to kind of selling beer out of the back of my beat up Volkswagen Golf. And I ended up getting a phone call from Tesco a few weeks later saying, well done, you finished first, second, third and fourth in our beer competition. I was like, okay. So I went down to, to London and then went to Chessunt where the Tesco headquarters were at the time. I was like, wow, this is Tesco headquarters. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't the nicest of uh, buildings. And uh, I sat there with my best poker face as the beer buyer said, love your beers, we want to put these four beers in 400 stores nationwide and we can sell 2,000 cases a week. And I didn't mention anything at all about the fact that this was two guys and a dog filling bottles by hand. So I got back and went to went to my bank, which was Bank of Scotland, and we had four months until this, I signed a contract, we had four months until the contract was due to start. So our bank was, uh, was Bank of Scotland and I said to the guys there, look, we've got this fantastic deal with Tesco, but I need 100,000 pounds for a bottling line. And, and £30,000 for, for some new tanks. And the bank just laughed at me. There's like, you're not paying your existing loan back. You're losing money. There's no way we can give you this money here. So um, 
Undeterred, I went to HSBC, which was across the street, and I said to the guys at HSBC, our bank, Bank of Scotland, have just offered us an amazing finance package and a bottling line and fermentation tanks, but if you guys can match this package, we'll get to shift all of our bank into you. We're a young up-and-coming company. We've got this fantastic deal with Tesco. We're kind of going places. And for some reason, HSBC gave us the money. So business plan year one, make hoppy beers and tell lies to banks. Maybe it's still the business plan today. Who, who knows? So um, we, we got to a point where we had exhausted lines of credit with four different banks and, and we needed to expand. And we thought, OK, can, is there some way that we can create a new business model? And this was this was 2009. So this was before crowdfunding existed as a thing. So it didn't even have a name, which is why we called it Equity for Punks. Hang on, um, you also had the financial crash that would have whacked in there. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like the economy was in a complete tailspin as well. No wonder the banks were, were not lending us money. So, But um, they were the getting first... money. They were being bailed out <laughs> nicely, weren't they, worldwide? Yeah. You know, they were doing all right. Um, the first seven legal companies that I tried to explain the equity for punks concept to all told me that it was completely impossible and we couldn't do what I was wanting to do here. The eighth company we spoke to reluctantly agreed to give it a go, but it was going to cost us £120,000 in fees. And that was at a time that we would £45,000 in the bank. So we decided to give this a go. So we gambled the entire future of our business and making this completely untried and untested business model and giving that a shot. So we just put everything in line. We think, we think this will work. We think we can take our customers with us on this journey. We think we can create a new way of doing business and we are willing to gamble the future of the business to do so. So luckily it worked out, but yeah, everything was, everything was in line. To risk, risk, innovation, creativity, and a kind of deep sense of something that's right, right deep down, that little light, well, how exciting. James, one of the things that, you know, I often speak to companies, speak to businesses, and you just feel that there's this big unwieldy sort of, you know, board of people. And within that, so often they're scared of what shareholders are going to think. You know, they've got to keep the profits coming in. It doesn't matter what, you know, or what the effect or the impact has. They also, so many people who work in these businesses, I've often talked to, they're scared to stand up for what they believe in because... They need to just keep pumping out profits at whatever cost. You have a manifesto, and I think manifestos are a philosophy and an important thing in businesses. Can you just tell me what your manifesto is? So we have a mission and then we have a manifesto. So our mission is to make other people as passionate about fantastic beer as we are, and our manifesto is for better beer, for a better planet, for us all. Well, that's a lovely, lovely thought. But was that always part of your vision or was the first bit to say we want to we want to brew a beer? Because I know you were doing this at home, weren't you? And actually doing was it part of the thing was like, no, I want to brew a beer and then you go, actually, do you know what? Look I'm looking this is starting to get successful. Let's start to do something that has meaning and depth as well as great beer. I think we always wanted to do something with meaning and depth. So we we set out on a mission to put the taste, the flavour, the passion, the artisan craftsmanship back into people's beer glasses and we saw beard as something that had been bastardized and commoditized by the big multinational companies essentially can unstrip the soul out of something beautiful so we wanted to put that soul that passion back and introduce people to quality and flavors and experiences that they just didn't know to expect from beer so i mean that was our kind of guiding principle and what drove us for the first few years but as soon as kind of 2009 2010 we started to take stands on political issues that we felt passionate about and um, by 2010, we were part community owned as well. And that's been a key part of our business. So very quickly, the mission evolved from just beer to let's, if we're going to dedicate our life to this, let's build a company that 
Myself, Martin, my co-founder, our fantastic team are proud to have put so much work and effort into, into building. I love the way that you talk about your community or your ambassadors. And these are people that share a belief with you, isn't it? As opposed to customers. You know, I'm, all the time I'm speaking to businesses and saying, I just think the old way of selling to stuff, selling stuff, more stuff that half of us don't bloody well need, selling to is over customers. And they sort of alienate themselves from the shared passion, which you talk about. And that could be on any product that we're doing. So I love the way that these are followers. These are communities with a shared value system into your brand, which is just lifts my heart. And I'm wondering, you know, whether those big corporations can do this. Or do you believe it, think it needs creative visionaries at the top, like you and your partner? I think big corporations are completely incapable of doing it. And what we wanted to do with Equity Punks, we wanted to kind of build a new type of business model for the 21st century. And our philosophy has always been to shorten the distance between ourselves and the people who enjoy the beers that we make. And Equity for Punks is the ultimate incarnation of that philosophy. So they're not investors, they're advocates, they're ambassadors, they're our biggest fans, they're our harshest critics. They help us find new locations, they help us develop new beers, and they're very much on this journey with us. And to date, we have raised £85 million by crowdfunding. So it's like the the most any company globally has raised by crowdfunding. We've got a community of 180,000, but it's not so much about the money we raise, it's about what we can do with this fantastic community that believe what we believe, who are passionate about what we're passionate about, who believe in investing in our people, who believe in looking after the planet and who believe in trying to change the world of beer through passion and integrity. Yeah, well, it's, it's, a, it's a great, great vision. And well, it's a vision that comes from your heart and your soul and a belief system. It's not just a business vision, although you're pretty canny on that too, James, aren't you? Um, so listen, a, a key part of your message is that you're the world's first carbon negative brewery and you're aiming to get your emissions to zero. And it's that's costing you. This stuff isn't, you know, done lightly. It's costing you about 30 million, if I'm, I'm right. Obviously, your profits are doing pretty well anyway. But a lot of businesses just don't wouldn't dent their profits you know if you i was just thinking about this is this is the thing that we're all up against so much is that they wouldn't take that risk because and they're not prepared to and many of them have obviously all their stakeholders who are looking for returns on investment but do you think genuinely though that we can build business models in the future that are forces for good i, I genuinely believe that and We've kind of said a few times internally, it's okay if our business fails, it's not okay if our planet fails. And I think one of the legacies of the terrible pandemic we've had this year is the landscape is going to change more quickly in 2021 than it has in the previous decade or maybe even previous two decades. So I think people are going to become far more mindful of the impact they have on the planet. I think people's going to come far more mindful of how interconnected we are as people on this planet, but also how interconnected we need to be with the biodiversity of the planet. And I think people's get become far more cognizant of the impact their choices make as a consumer. So I believe that the choices someone makes as a consumer has more impact than who they choose to vote for. What corporations you choose to give your yeah. money to shapes the future of the planet more than who you choose to, to vote for. And I think more and more people are going to want to spend their money with companies that care about their people, that care about community, and at this moment in time, that care about the planet. We are facing an existential crisis. We've got a very short amount of time for us to make the change 
for us as, as a society globally to make the change that we need to make to save our planet. And one of the questions I've been asked so many times this year is, James, why in the middle of a pandemic when your business was struggling, did you completely pivot and put everything in the line for sustainability? And the answer is very, very simple. And the answer is this cannot wait. This cannot wait till next year. This cannot wait until 2025. We want to put everything in the line for what we believed in and make as much change as we possibly could now because our planet needs change now. I mean, the, the, well, this is why I talk about the kindness economy. It's just this, this new energy that's coming from your generation. You know, I'm sadly one of the generation that's probably really put and sold a lot of stuff to a lot of people and, and put us in the position that we are now. Um, and even waking up to it late at my age, at least I feel that I'm waking up. But I mean, a key part of your message is around, and you've just talked about it there, is that governments and political institutions are failing. I mean... Really, how do we see businesses shifting and changing that gap? And I'm going to ask another question as well is, how do we keep getting this message out to people? I'm with you on that. Every pound is a vote. And I, every pound that you spend is a vote on how we want to live. And yet we are still seeing people spending huge amounts of money with these big corporations. What do you think is the most important part and how businesses can fill that gap with their messaging of getting out there to people? So governments have proven to be completely and utterly mm. inept at doing anything to tackle climate crisis. And you've just got to look at the governments of kind of the top 10 nations in the world and how much they subsidise the fossil fuel industry to this day, mm. to the detriment of the environment. But the timelines that politicians work on are incompatible with the timelines in which we need to think to tackle climate change. If they're worried about being elected again in four years' time, like, there is going to be pain somewhere here for society to make the changes that we need. If you're worried about being elected in four years' time, you're not going to do what we need to do because it's going to incur pain and you might not get elected again. So politicians are not going to be able to get us out of this mess. I believe it's got to be the best progressive, most forward-thinking businesses working hand-in-hand hand with cutting-edge scientists that can lead us out of the, the mess that we've got ourselves into here. So we've worked very closely with Mike Berners-Lee, but we want to take our community with us as well. So we're a medium-sized business, but in the overall scheme of things globally, we are tiny. So we need to do two things. We need to take our community with us and use our community to help us amplify this message. But we also need to inspire other businesses to go on this journey and do all they can to make the changes that we need to help us save our planet. Yeah, it's a, and it also I think there's something very kind of modern and forward thinking about it. And that I know this sounds that you know in a commercial sense. And I love the way that you market yourself. It's you know it's it is activist. It's anarchic. It's out there. It's bold. You have your point of view, and you don't care. There is something very kind of sexy about that, if you don't mind me saying. And it's how we get that across many, many different industries. This feels like the modern choice and that you're a big old dinosaur. Not only you're a dinosaur if you're choosing another way to spend your money or to live or to buy, you're actually killing our planet and you're killing opportunities for the future generations. But tell me, Silson, a real turning point for you, I can't get my head around yeah. how this happened, was hearing David Attenborough yeah. talk about... <laughs> <laughs> climate crisis and, and tell me what happened after tell me the story of your Attenborough interactions so I'm fortunate enough to be very good friends with Sir Tom Hunter who is such an inspiration to me and he's a full-time philanthropist and works in some amazing projects so he took David Attenborough to Scotland to speak at an event on sustainability on climate and it was in February this year and I was lucky enough to 
have um, have dinner with David before the event and got to speak to him. And up until then, we thought we were doing our bit for the planet. We'd taken plastic out of our supply chain. Um, we built breweries in America and Australia and Germany to reduce the distance that we were sending beer. We even made a protest beer when the US pulled out the Paris Climate Change Agreement. But over the course of that evening, I came to the the kind of biting realization that what we were doing wasn't nearly nearly enough and in fact we were a massive massive part of the problem so we just said okay like we we can't we can't do this anymore like what can what can we do and because this isn't our core expertise the first thing we did was found a fantastic expert to kind of help us lead us through this process which was mike berners lee we very quickly started to understand the kind of complete footprint of our business and then we looked at different ways that until we drive that footprint to zero, we could offset it. And the more we looked into the offsets, the more we were not happy with the quality of the offsets. The schemes didn't feel that good. They maybe weren't sensitive to local biodiversity or sensitive to local communities or perhaps not even that transparent in what they were doing. So we thought, let's think about this differently. We love to take ownership of things. Our carbon is our problem, so let's fix it ourselves. So we bought over 2,000 acres of the Scottish Highlands, and where next year we get to start planting 1 million trees to create one of the biggest native broadleaf forests ever created from scratch in Scotland to take our carbon out of the air. So we're going to fix this ourselves with our own forest we're going to get a community to help us plant the trees we're going to have sustainable campsites there sustainable workshops sustainable weekends but we very much wanted to feel like this is our problem we're not going to outsource the solution we are going to own the solution as well i absolutely love that and in the beautiful beautiful heartland of scotland oh my god i took a lodge up in scotland all back but my son turned 21 it was the most incredible most beautiful place to be and i think you know putting it back into the land so there there's companies are they working with different companies to offset as well yeah so what we're doing at the moment so we don't start planting until early um 2021 so at the moment in the interim we are working with companies but we've vetted those companies to such a high standard and mike berners lee and his team has helped us vet those companies as well. So we're working with the Woodland Trust, the Rivers Trust in the UK, the Nature Conservancy of Canada. So some fantastic partners as the interim measure until we start planting trees ourselves next year. You were saying earlier on that you're still, you know, a tiny business, although you're pretty significant in size. But the, I was, your largest competitor in the beer world is two and a half thousand times. You're two and a half times, thousand times smaller yeah. than than that. Just shows you you're going to be, you know, that it's all about the massive great corporations buying up. So they've obviously knocked on your doors, haven't they, and oh, said we want to buy you many, many yeah. times, all of them. And you go, no, go sit on one of my trees in the forest, high up, yeah? Um, I say something that's usually not that polite. <laughs> go sit on that tree stump. <laughs> okay, that yeah. very that's sharp closer, tree yeah. stump and stick it. But like, you know, most people, like I was thinking about this, I, I was when I, when I read that, stat, and I was thinking about this, obviously, you know, you're going to go public at some point. That's, is yeah. that right? Is that how you, then, then you, then you keep... The provenance you keep the soul of your brand you're a lawyer aren't you a trained lawyer aren't you as well as a fisherman was it you who did the fishing as well or was it you yeah I, 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 it was me i studied law at university i then got a job as a lawyer i sat there for two weeks hated every second of it so i quit after two weeks and then became captain of a fishing boat oh, please just tell me a little bit about that because actually that's where <laughs> yeah. every rich person wants to end up though don't they you know they make all their money then they go i just want to go fishing 
Um, not, not, not like this. I mean, it was, it was gritty. It was tough. The North Atlantic in January and February is a hard and dangerous place to, to, to make a living. So the, the weather conditions were pretty ferocious. The work was very, very hard. I mean, a 24 hour stint on deck was not uncommon at all, but it was a fantastic bunch of guys in the boat. And like so many of the things that I use in this business on a day to day basis when it comes to leadership and, and people and teamwork were inculcated during my time in the kind of tempestuous seas of the North Atlantic. So. I love my time in the boat and the people I was in the boat with are still my, my best friends to this day, but it was it was very, very tough. Didn't your mum say, look, what the hell? You've just been to Edinburgh <laughs> University, got a law degree and you're codging off on a boat, getting a few fishing. Um, Get back home and do something. Did she yeah, not? Parents, uh, yeah, parents I weren't too happy. Uh, yeah, I studied yeah. for four and a half years. I did the job for two weeks and decided I didn't like it. So yeah. I know, I'm just thinking of me as a mother, yeah. I'd have got a hold of mine and slapped him around the head. I'd have panicked, but here you are, you did something. Actually, what you did is, just hearing you talk about that, is you went out and you lived and you saw how people truly live. You know, because you're sitting here, a very wealthy man, and you know I'm nowhere near as wealthy, but I've had a lovely life and we forget what it's like. To, to sometimes, for most people, how they live. Um, you're going to go back to those boys with the boats and, and deliver some crates of your beer on the old shore and say, there you go, boys. Have you done that yet? I'm having dinner with them on Thursday this week. <laughs> Fish, no doubt, is on the menu. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so do you have hope on other industries? Like, let's take, for example, the fashion industry. I mean, look, what that's done to the planet. Do you have hope for that? Um, absolutely. I mean, just two days ago, I was speaking to um, Ryan Gellert, who is the CEO of Patagonia, oh, who are a, a, a fantastic, fantastic company with their great vision when it comes to sustainability. You can look at companies like Allbirds or Reformation. So fashion industry needs to change, but we are seeing mavericks, rebels, troublemakers, whatever you want to call them, disruptors in that industry now, kind of emerging over the last few years where we haven't seen them before. So like all industries are going to have to change and I think we're seeing some encouraging signs from those companies and other companies within fashion at the moment as well. I have a thing where I call it naive experts where I ask people mm. who are experts in their fields to talk about another area because I'm, I'm really finding this challenging. I've joined the World Hope Forum but you know the fashion industry that fast cheap fashion where you've got all those businesses going well it's democratic we are letting you know we're affordable fashion and you see some of those online retailers selling a frock, was it in Black Friday for, you know, 20p? It makes me think, God, is this going to be such an uphill struggle ongoing, ongoing? But, you know, we've just got to keep going at this, haven't we? And I think where you've come from, and I want to talk, want you to tell about those, is what you've done is created, apart from a brilliant beer, because I do drink it, um, is you've created really innovative, disruptive marketing strategies. And I, I do believe there are two key things on breaking through the apathy of consumerism that we've seen for the last 30 years. Is One is you've got to have a great product, but two, you've got to have one great message to wake people up to what's happening. Just tell us some of the things that you've fallen down. <laughs> They're really entertaining. Okay, so um, just, just for a bit of context, so, I mean, all of this was a very intentional, deliberate strategy. So we are in an industry dominated by behemoths who spend so much money on conventional advertising and marketing. So if we tried to spend our money in the same way as them, we would just get lost in the noise and we would have failed. So we had to find a way to compete when it comes to market and branding and awareness, which meant doing things that we 
felt we're quite close to the line at times, which means doing unconventional things. And we've got a little test in our company. And that test is, would another company do this? And if the answer is yes, then it's probably not something that we are going to do as a business. I got that um, in my company. We, we look at brands and we go, what can't Amazon do? Yeah, go, go. <laughs> so go, go on, tell us. We launched a beer called Elvis Juice. Um, and within two weeks, we got a letter from um, the lawyers who own the the intellectual property of Elvis's name, saying that we couldn't use the name Elvis in a beer, and if we did, we had to pay them a license fee for every can case bottle that, that we sold. So uh, myself and Martin um, downloaded a form from the internet, um, sent it away with a check for £25, which meant we legally changed our names to Elvis. <laughs> and we then sent them a letter back um, saying that we needed a license fee because they were using our names and all of their music. So every time they played something on the radio, we were expecting a license fee. Signed, love from Elvis and Elvis. So I was Elvis for two weeks. I had a driving license that said Elvis. My email address was Elvis at Um My grandmother hated it, so I had to change it back to James. But yeah, I was I was Elvis for a fortnight. Yeah, but you wrote it was really funny. I'm going to try and find. Oh, the letter. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to see if I can find it because it just I was like, oh man, you know, yeah. I love this. I love that you actually you're a dear big boss man. We're sorry that you have suspicious minds and are all shook up over our new beer. We're not easy come, easy go and feel that now is the time for a little less conversation. We're kind of caught in a trap. So in an effort to patch it up and highlight our burning love, we've both changed our names to Elvis. Could you please now pay us a licence fee for using our name? I love it. I absolutely love it. You know what I love? There's a, there's a podcast called Outrage and optimism. I feel that energy coming from you. You've got to be outraged. I used to think it was anger because I used to get really so angry. But actually, angry, angry just just is um, a disruptive, but not actually gets you very far. Whereas being outraged but optimistic at the same time is just a wonderful mix, isn't it? And I feel that that's just at the heart of what you're doing. And I think the more that you spread that light out there, actually, the more people follow you, don't they? Yeah, and we actually use something similar internally. We call it cynical optimism. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you've got to be that bit cynical because there's always some little, well, there's always some little fat cat coming around the corner, (laughs) aren't they? Trying to break and knock the legs from under you, you know? So, listen, people are really, when I talk about the kindness economy, in fact, when I came up with this, I, I did a TED Talk on the kindness um, economy. And, um, you know, so many people said, well, you can't be kind in business. What the hell, you know? And actually, it's not about a soft thing because that, that, that's when I talk to you. This isn't about, it's just doing the right thing, isn't it? Actually, it's about doing the right thing. And you can do the right thing by even telling people, as you did, Brewdog ad, F-U-C-O-2. Now, that is very kind, actually, because you're fighting for your planet. We all want to build a better world. We want to create a kindness economy. Do you think, A, that businesses can be a force for good? I'm sure you do, because you're doing that. Yep, as a nodding there. Um, yes. <laughs> and where is your hope? Where do you think we'll be in five years' time with business? Do you think we can create and really see a shift in the way businesses will be in, in society social progress as well as financial progress. Do you think we're going to see a better world in five years? I absolutely believe that. And I think we're going to see a seismic shift of next 20, 24 months. So accelerated by the impact of of COVID-19, but I think more and more consumers want to not just buy a product from a company, but they want to 
align with a company whose values match up with mm. theirs. They want to give their money to a company that stands for something, that has integrity, that has values, that does the right thing, that gives back, that look, looks after its community. They want to give their money to a, a company which is passionate about what they do from a product perspective. They want to give their money to a company which is transparent and open in how they do things. And we're starting to see that change happening. And I think that change is just going to hit the business landscape like an absolute tidal wave and just turn everything on its head, which might lead to a little bit of chaos. But I think consumer expectations from business is going to change so dramatically over the next few years. And we want to be one of the catalysts for this huge seismic change in consumer behavior because it has to it has to happen. So we're actually making a beer at the moment called MMXXX, which is 2030. Um, we're going to sell it this year, but it's a beer that we want people to open on the 1st of January of 2030 to do one of two things. Um, to either celebrate the fact that humanity came together and averted the biggest crisis we as humans have ever faced and possibly will ever face, or if we don't, um, it's to toast the impending apocalypse. Oh, James, let's just hope it's the first thing. I mean, you know, uh, the optimism and the joy that you bring... Um, just gives a, a warm, fuzzy feeling in the heart. But we have to get out there. We have to, as you said, we have to vote with our money and we have to just think where we're putting it and what that's going to mean for future generations. It's been an absolute pleasure, mate, from Aberdeen in your wee woolly hat. What's the temperature like um, up there it today? It was zero when I got into the car this morning. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty cold up here at the moment. Winter has hit with a vengeance. Well, good luck with everything. It's been an absolute joy talking to you. And keep being the activist and any ideas that you help on on how we can do this across every part of consumerism would be welcome in the kindness economy james cool. thanks for having me and take care thanks james what a pleasure so next week i have the ceo and owner of lush mark constantine charismatic slightly bonkers and everything you would expect from a man who has been over the last 30 years maybe 40 years actually rooting his business in the kindness economy. He says, I feel very much like I've been preparing for this moment all my life where climate change becomes obvious, where excessive packaging is understood and where a sustainable supply is vital and regeneration is important. We want to restore people's faith in human nature, which is particularly pertinent at the moment. That's next week on The Kindness Economy. Join us then.